Hello, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to yet another episode of nobody's favorite podcast, Annoying Question Boy. I join you as always as your boy, Annoying Question Boy, uh, and today we got a we got a we got a special one today. Um, today we are going to be talking about the history and plight of black folks in America. Uh, this one especially goes out to my grandma. Um, because I feel like this is the only way, uh, that I can truly get through everything I need to say to help you to understand. Yeah, so let's just, let's just jump right into it. I'm not even going to do intro music today. What are you talking about? You think I'd go without intro music? You're crazy. So just so you know, this is probably going to be a long one. So strap in. So where do we start if we're going to talk about the history of black folks in this country? Well, first of all, we have to start before this country was even ordained as a country itself. Uh, All the way back in 1619, when the first ever African slaves were introduced to this country. So at this time, you had white European settlers, mostly Dutch and people of that um, ethnicity, nationality, what have you, um, who no longer were able to sustain the needs of their population on the workforce of simply the poor European uh, settlers. So they needed a cheap and large-scale workforce that was able to be, you know, just put right into practice right away. So what did they do? Well, they turned to African enslaved folks. Um, because they were a more plentiful and inexpensive labor force at the time. Uh, they brought and bought approximately 6 to 7 million uh, enslaved Africans from their homeland, culture, and families. But not only did they separate these people from that, but they also separated the, those people's country from their husbands, sons, uh fathers, and most importantly, their labor force. So from 1619 throughout, you have just, you have African enslaved people as the main working force in this country. And I'm sure if you know your history about slavery, you can kind of assume how they were treated during this time. Um, And you can also look at how the Dutch treated Native Americans at this time to try to understand how you think they might treat, uh, black people. So throughout the 18th century, northern states kind of began to fall away from slavery. We're taking a huge jump here. There's not a whole lot of history from this time. Um, I'm sure if I really dove quite a bit, I could find a lot more. But more of the quote-unquote important topics are kind of a little bit later. So like I said, throughout the 18th century, northern states and colonies began to fall away from slavery because uh, it actually wasn't very integral in uh, their economy. Um, Not because they just didn't think it was right necessarily. That kind of came with time, but mostly because they weren't necessary to the northern economy. 
But in the South, they were almost central to their economy. Uh, in the South, uh, where at the time, um, you began to see a lot more uh, inflection or, I guess, importation of slaves, even though in 1808 Congress ruled that it was in unconstitutional and therein abolished the new importing of slaves into the states at this time, almost 4 million more slaves were brought to the states uh, in the South. Um, around this same time, uh, you saw kind of the death of the tobacco industry in the South due to exhausted soil. So a new crop was needed in order to be, you know, the cash crop of the economy in order to make the South money. So what did they turn to? Well, cotton. Um, and this is mainly due to the invention of the cotton gin around that same time. Because of this, and because of a new industry, uh, there was another need for a large-scale workforce. So what do we do? Well, we enslave some more African folks. Um, but at the time, there was approximately 8 million enslaved uh, African Americans in this country, and recently at that time speaking, recently there was a Haitian slave revolution that was successful that Southerners and their government were worried would lead to an attempt at a slave revolt within the states. So in 1793, the Fugitive Slave Act was passed, which outlawed the ability for anyone to assist in allowing an, an enslaved African-American to escape. Um, this led to a huge influx in the amount of slave patrols in the area, um, which were uh, massive groups of mostly poor white folks who basically acted as police, not only to catch and return runaway slaves, but also to enforce obedience and discipline within uh, already obedient and disciplined slaves. So, slavery is awful. We know about that. We'll, we'll connect it eventually. I'm kind of just going to go through the history real quick, and then we'll, we'll bounce back. Uh... One of the next big, huge um, uh, African-American historical uh, turning points was in 1831, when Nat Turner led his own slave revolt uh, of about 60 or so uh, enslaved folks. Um, him and a few of his... Uh, Cohorts killed his slave-owning family um, and eventually began to gather more and more supporters as they made their way through the town. They were attempting to take the state armory and in the process killed approximately 60 white folks. Uh, 
with the news making its way across the state super swiftly, um, National Guard as well as local militias were sent in and murdered Nat Turner, or sorry, murdered Nat Turner's helpers as well as approximately a hundred slaves and bystanders. Um, but Turner made his escape. Uh, for approximately six weeks when he was caught and subsequently hanged. Media turned this and said that approximately hundreds of white people had been killed by the slaves in order to create a national outcry against slave revolts. This led to emergency legislative meetings, which also led to the tightening of laws uh, which advocated for limited education and travel for slaves uh, and used the rebellion as proof that slaves were actually inferior to white folks because they were not, quote-unquote, successful. Around the same time, you had abolitionists in the North advocating for the South's disbandment of slavery and practices of slavery. You also had things like the Underground Railroad that the abolitionists were helping out with, uh, which was basically, for those of you who don't really understand, it actually wasn't a railroad. Uh, it was a series of safe houses and towns that slaves could make their way to on their way to Canada or even just free states in uh, America through the help of uh, sympathizers and other already liberated uh, slaves. Also, at the same time, you saw the creation of the publication The Liberator. Uh, you saw the Quakers and many other religious groups advocating for the disbandment of slavery on religious morals, as well as just seeing a general disdain in the North for slavery because of their lack of slave practicing for many, many generations at this point. Uh, coming up next on our... Uh, pinpointing of historical moments in black history in this country, you had Dred Scott. Uh, Dred Scott was a slave who was moved from Missouri to Wisconsin by his owner and therefore sued, stating that because Wisconsin was a free state, he was officially a free man. This uh, lawsuit made its way all the way to the Supreme Court, where the Supreme Court ruled that because Dred Scott was a slave. He was not a citizen and therefore had no constitutional rights to freedom. The Supreme Court also ruled at this time that they had no power to remove property rights from anyone, therefore setting a precedent for many lawsuits to come against slavery. This also led to the Missouri compromising losing its holding in this country. Uh, the Missouri compromise was... Uh, Basically, an enacted law that said if there's going to be a slave state, there also has to be a new free state in order to keep the same amount of slave states and free states in America. But this uh, ruling over Dred Scott made that no longer constitutional and made it that slaves or sorry, states could only decide whether to be free or slaveholding at the time that they were declared a state. No, be no before or after, really. Uh, you also had John Brown and his movement. I don't really want to focus on too many white folks um, 
and their help liberating black folks in this country, because I feel like that's basically the narrative that we hear uh, as white Americans in this country, that we are these heroes and these saviors. But really, the majority of white folks at this time were pro-slavery. Uh, so John Brown, just real quick, he helped uh, slaves try to take uh, a armory. Um, he helped... Uh, liberated slaves, kill a bunch of slave owners, and free a bunch of other slaves at the time. It was pretty cool. Then, of course, we have the Civil War, which is a war fought over the South's uh, whininess and wanting to continue to own people as property. You also had the Emancipation Proclamation that was passed by Abe Lincoln. Side note, Abe Lincoln actually said in a statement that he did not feel that black people were equal to white people, just simply that no one should own another human being. As well as the passing of the 13th Amendment, which said that no human being in this country shall be had in, held in slavery or involuntary servitude unless as a punishment for which they will have been duly convicted by the state and therein held as a prisoner. That's pretty important uh, because, as you know, or as you should know, mass incarceration in this country is predominantly uh, enacted against black folks. After the Civil War, you had a uh, Reconstructing South, which began to pass things called the Black Codes. Uh, some examples would be in Mississippi, where they required written form of proof of employment for black folks in order to continue to remain free at the beginning of every year. Then in South Carolina, you had laws that made it so black people could only be farmers or servants uh, unless they agreed to pay a fine, which they described as a tax of 10 to $100 annually to have a different job. Some states used their black codes to limit uh, what type of land that black people could own or whether or not black people could even own land. Um, you also had vagrancy laws at the time that led to forced enslavement of former slaves um, under the, the guise of imprisonment, which is important uh, because you had people being arrested, like black folks being arrested because they couldn't pay quote-unquote taxes because they couldn't get a job because no one would hire them they had nowhere to live they had no one no way to gain wealth they had no way to survive and then because of that they were criminalized they were arrested and put back in the same fields that they were working as slaves only years before under the guise of prison now uh, the 15th Amendment was passed um, not too long after this, uh, which led to the rise of the KKK in this country. Um, the 15th Amendment, for those of you who don't know, uh, reads, The right of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. So this, like I said, led to the rise of KKK and other white supremacy groups, which attempted to suppress black voters by just simply not allowing them to vote. 
assaulting them, killing them, things of that nature. Um, and then around the same time in 1877, the last federal troops and military officials left the South, which essentially left black folks in that uh, space and in those locations uh, open to assault and whatever the white Southerners decided was okay to do to them because you no longer had the federal government acting against uh, white Southerns in white southern state interests uh within their own states after the uh uh removal of federal troops you saw an enactment of jim crow laws jim crow for those of you who don't know was an actor at the time who uh very or very often uh acted while wearing blackface and it became a derogatory term for black folks um, this led to the passing of laws that basically created the precedent of separate but equal. And I know for some people this kind of uh, isn't as bad as it might seem because, well, as long as they're kind of on their own, they're safe and everything like that. But separation of people based on their race only leads to further dehumanization. And aside from that, you're not going to just simply change the minds of people by removing the people that they don't like from their, you know, circles and from their environment because that's only going to help perpetuate their ideals. Plus, as we see time and time again in this in this era, this basically just put all the black folks in certain areas in one general location, which made it very easy for assaults against them. Uh, the ruling in 1896 by the Supreme Court was that it was not illegal for separate but equal within states as long as equal provisions were provided for both black and white parties. This was a ruling uh, eight to one, which uh, allowed for the continuation of Jim Crow laws. Uh, soon after then, you began to see a rise in vocational education after and during segregation. Uh, folks like Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver advocated for black Americans to learn vocational and job-based training in order to become, um, basically just better laborers, um, Carver urged um, southern states to actually move away from cotton and move towards peanuts, soybeans, and sweet potatoes for exhausted soil. But although they might have thought what they were doing was good, you know, educating black folks, allowing them to gain knowledge and understanding, what it really boiled down to was just a... a it accommodated white supremacy because they weren't telling black folks, educate yourself and revolt against black rule. They were saying, educate yourselves to become better workers, which led to the furthering of exploitation by white folks at this time of black workers. In response to people like Booker T. Washington and George Washington Carver, you had folks like W.E.B. Du Bois, who was very against Booker T. Washington and spoke out time and time again, saying that he was, like I said, advocating towards white supremacy. 
1909, you had the founding of the NAACP uh, after the Niagara Movement, um, which was a crusade against lynching and racially motivated lawless acts. Skip ahead about another 10 years. In 1920, you had what's coined as the Harlem Renaissance. Due to a massive urbanization in the area, many black folks were put away into places like Harlem, and this led to a huge boom in culture. You had the creation of jazz, blues, uh, huge movements in art by black folks. Um, but eventually, due to the Great Depression of 1929, most of this Harlem Renaissance and the culture boom uh, fizzled out very quickly, as well as um, the fact that most of these folks, for example, authors at this time depended on white publications to post their books. Uh, you also had... Um, uh, jazz and blues artists performing for mostly white audiences. So essentially, although culture was booming, their presentation of that culture to the outward world was almost impossible and led to many, many more uh, problems. Uh, during World War II, you had multiple African Americans who made their way into the armed forces. You had approximately 3 million who attempted to enlist with approximately 500,000 serving overseas. Uh, at the time, the four freedoms were preached very heavily. The freedom of speech, of worship, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear. Even though most black people at this time in this country were not allotted those freedoms within the states. And even while serving their country overseas or even within the states, had to fight time and time again for the equal treatment of themselves as well as other black Americans within the service. You had separate units for black folks, which led to more racial segregation mentality. Um, but you had people like uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, who led approximately 3,000 missions and were very successful. Um, and then Doyle Miller, I believe his name is pronounced who helped save wounded soldiers during the attacks on Pearl Harbor and manned machine guns uh, shooting down three or four uh, Japanese airplanes. Of course, we all know about Jackie Robinson. Um, and around the same time as Jackie Robinson, you saw the ruling of the Brown v. Board of Education, which ruled that separate but equal was unconstitutional and legally, on a federal level, made segregated schools unconstitutional. Uh, around the same time the murder of Emmett Till happened, uh, Rosa Parks and the Montgomery bus boycotts, uh, the Central Public Schools in uh, 1961, I believe, finally desegregated, although the ruling of Brown v. Board made it constitutionally and federally illegal to segregate schools. Many states, 11 in total, actually, passed anti-Brown v. Board bills, which allowed for the segregation of schools to continue. Uh, 
around the same time, you had the Greensboro sit-ins, uh, which led to the founding of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, which helped uh, accommodate for the Freedom Rides of 1961, the March on Washington in 1963, the huge uh, empowerment of black power movements, uh, also at this time, all because of some of these uh, civil disobedience acts. But going through history um, and marking all of the accomplishments of black folks around these times uh, really goes without speaking on some of the atrocities that were happening at the same time. You had public lynchings continuing in southern states as well as burnings of dead uh, black Americans after the these lynchings. Um, you had the Birmingham or Birmingham church bombing in 1963. Uh, you had um, uh, white supremacy movements in uh, like the bombing of Black Wall Street. Uh, the Tulsa riots, um, many other uh, anti-black, white supremacist, aggressive uh, movements against black prosperity in this country. In 1964, you had the passing of the Civil Rights Act, and in the following year, you had the murder of JFK. Um, the the Civil Rights Act really did nothing except for giving federal government more protective power uh, in disallowing states and local governments to pass uh, racially motivated laws. It also created the EEOC, or the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, um, but also at the same time it's important to note that things such as the Mississippi burnings happened where three men during the Freedom Summer, which was uh, this movement around this time where uh, northern abolitionists, uh, I guess that's not really a great term for them, it's kind of past the time of abolitionists, but uh, northern anti-segregation uh, uh, folks were being asked to come down south and help fund schools and public spaces for black people in order to show prosperity to the racist southerners in the area to try to change the narrative towards uh, black people in this country. Um, of course, in 1965, you had the Selma March on Washington. On March 7th, uh, marchers were attacked by state troopers as well as just white folks in the area, and the marches were disbanded. Um, but then on March 21st, after a federal passing of protective measures, uh, the marches continued with Army and Federal Troop Protection. Also in the year 1965, in February, Malcolm X was murdered in Harlem while he was speaking by Nation of Islam protesters. Um, then in 1965, you had the Voting Rights Act bill, which was passed, which banned most known voter suppression uh, laws, such as literacy tests. Uh, in a few following years, in 1968, MLK was assassinated. And then from 1968 to now, you basically had a bunch of small victories, such as affirmative action, uh, 
federal housing laws, welfare laws, things of that nature being passed. But this is where I kind of want to step away from the uh, historical landmarks of black people in this country and talk about really the effects on black people in this country and what they had to withstand. So, of course, in this country, according to the Constitution and according to whatever federal judge you're going to ask, it's illegal to discriminate against or act violently against anyone based on their race, religion, sexual orientation, what have you. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's what happens. Um, Some examples of not only just black mistreatment in this country, but minority mistreatment as a whole uh, would be, for example, the voter suppression laws in North Dakota, which don't allow uh, Native Americans who uh, live on reservations to vote because they don't have a legal address. They simply have P.O. boxes. Um, You have a lot of workplace discrimination. on so many levels, such as just how difficult it is to get a job with the name Jamal or Taisha. Um, you have uh, black people getting hired in spaces where they are then uh, subsequently referred to as the diversity hire and not allowed any upward mobility. You have a separation of uh, wage inequality in this country where African Americans hold approximately $8 trillion of historical wealth as compared to $102 trillion of white historical wealth. You have a separation of uh, median income where black women make approximately only 66% of what white folks make working the same jobs. You have uh, educational opportunities that not are not available to the same communities because of their poverty wage, which, which leads to um, advanced classes in secondary schools only having approximately 23% of enrolled students being black. Um, you have a lack of black Congress people uh, in the 116th Congress. You have a lack of black CEOs and large business owners, which that really isn't as important because adding to capitalism is never good. But just simply the fact that black people aren't allowed uh, or at least it's more difficult for black people to be allowed in the same spaces as white people is very important to note. But if you go through all the history, and that was just the most real swift, you know, just general point history that I could have given you. If you go through history and look at everything that black people in this country had to endure just to simply survive, how is it that today in America we can look at protests and you know, Ferguson in 2014, the Dakota Access Pipeline uh, protests in 2016, the George Floyd protests, um, Black Lives Matter movements that are happening in this country, with only small pockets of those protests leading to violent insurrection, looting or rioting. 
How is it that we can turn on those protests and ignore what it is that they have gone through to this point? Ignore what it is that their mentality has to be due to their uh, discrimination on almost every level of society. How can we ignore their demands? How can we ignore their humanity and their human rights? And how can we ignore the what they're asking for by just simply saying, well, they are protesting wrong. They are being violent. They're looting. They're rioting. Last time I checked, in 1619, six to seven million African Americans were removed from their homeland, their home, from their culture, from their society, from their families, and placed across the Atlantic Ocean in a country that we didn't even have the right to be bringing slaves into considering it wasn't even our country in the first place. And then we, 400 years later, 400 years of systematic oppression, exploitation, slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, um, so many levels of just awful treatment, 400 years of this. How is it in 2020 we can say, well, they broke into a Target. Well, they burned down a Wendy's. Their ancestors were murdered simply for the color of their skin. Their ancestors were not allowed to vote. Their ancestors were not allowed land. Their ancestors were not allowed jobs. Their ancestors were not allowed to gain wealth. Their ancestors were not allowed to own cars. Their ancestors were not allowed to walk down the street. Their ancestors were not allowed to survive simply based on the color of their skin. And not even simply their ancestors. Today in this country, as of July 2020, 506 black people have been killed in racially motivated homicides to date. Of those 506, approximately 100 have been reported to have been committed by police officers. You have a enormous, enormous prison industry in this country that either kills or uh, convicts black people as well as many other minority groups in this country disproportionately. On a basis of population to imprisonment, approximately 6% of black people in this country can expect to see the far side of cell bars at one point or another in their lifetime. 6% might seem like a small amount, but when you look at the population of black Americans in this country who are going to be imprisoned versus, versus approximately the 0.575 of white Americans in this country who will see the same treatment, you can start to begin to understand that this is not simply um, a matter of criminality. This is not simply a matter of breaking the law. This is racially based. So we can talk forever about the history of African Americans and black people in this country. Their mistreatment, their discrimination, the amount of murders, and everything committed against them. 
but we don't even need to do that. We can look at how they are treated today. We can look at the fact that housing in black communities is disproportionately poor compared to the same communities within the same state for white Americans. We can look at the education, the health care, the safety nets such as wealth welfare, uh, food stamps, SNAP, things of that nature, and that availability to black Americans. It's insane to me that the stigma in this country is that black people uh, just live off of welfare. Well, for starters, how is it that you think we got here? With an inability to get jobs, with an inability to uh, uh gain and hold on to wealth with an inability to exist safely in this country why is it that you would think that black people in this country would need social programs like welfare and that's not even true because according to some welfare statistics most welfare is actually consumed and applied to by approximately 43 percent white Americans with only 20% black Americans in this country. And that's not even to account for how many of those people are denied because of their ethnicity. And if you want to sit here and try to deny to me that ethnicity and race has any influence in uh, availability to things like social programs, education, healthcare, housing, food, if you want to sit here and try to pretend like that's not real, well then you need to wake up. So now let's talk about these violent protests. In this country today, we watched as uh, Derek Chauvin knelt on and murdered George Floyd for 8 minutes and 46 seconds while he continuously pleaded for his life, saying that he could not breathe. This is not new. Eric Garner screamed the same thing. Many, many black Americans have screamed the same things while staring down the barrel of a gun held by a police officer that they are told is supposed to be there to protect them. Emmett Till was murdered almost a hundred years ago. And still, to this day, people like Emmett Till are killed on a daily basis because of their race and what it means to white people. What white people see when they see black skin. What white people think when they see black skin. What white people feel when they see black skin. And how that is okay, but yet what black people do, how black people feel, how black people act in this country after 400 years of oppression, abuse, discrimination, murder, and all the other dis descriptive words that we could use to describe how awfully black people are treated in this country, black people react now by just simply pleading for equal treatment. And you or anyone have the brass to say, well, they shouldn't be violent. Well, you know what? Yes, they should. Because as we've seen time and time again, Peaceful protests do not work. The civil rights movement was 60 years ago and nothing has changed. Uh, the enactment of the civil rights uh, law was in 1964, as I've said. And since 1964, almost nothing has structurally changed. Yes, can black people have the same jobs as white people? Yes, can black people go to the same schools as white people? Yes, can black people live in the same communities as white people? Yes, is that always possible? No. 
It's always legal. And that's the difference. Legality does not mean possibility. And that's an understanding that many white people in this country, as well as many other groups of people in this country, need to come to. I am someone who will say time and time again that I am in favor of insurrectionism, in favor of reactionary acts of violence against the government. Because here's the thing. If you want to sit here and try to tell me that black people in this country should take the 400 years of oppression that they have seen and witnessed and been a victim of and react by simply pleading to a government, the same government that committed those acts, to please stop committing those acts, well then you are a child and ignorant. Because here's the thing. If that same government that you, as well as many other Americans in this country, are imposing that black Americans, as well as other minority groups, should be appeasing and appealing towards for their help and their safety, if that same government is the government that committed those acts, well, wouldn't you think if they wanted change, they would have created it? They have the power, they have the wealth, they have the influence to create this change. They don't want it, and they've shown that over the last 400 years. So, Grandma. No. These protesters should not be peaceful. Because peace was never an option. For 400 years, they have been murdered whether through social injustice or inequality, through the prison industrial system, through slavery, through starvation, through a lack of wealth, through a lack of jobs, through a lack of land, through a lack of ability to survive, to just straight-up murder. Peace was never an option that they were allotted. So why is it that we ask these people to be peaceful when we have never shown them peace. Insurrection, violence, rioting, looting, these are the things that will make change. We're no longer asking. We are saying this is what's going to happen until change happens. Otherwise, we will be the change. I'm sorry that uh, that might be offensive to you uh, or upsetting, but uh, it I, I feel like it's much more upsetting to black folks that they have to sit down at the table one night and tell their son or daughter to fear for their life for the rest of their life because of the color of their skin. If you're still listening, thank you very much. I appreciate that you uh, would sit through my screaming. Um, I will not apologize for it because I'm not sorry for it, and nor should I be. Um, If you have any other further questions, of course, you know how to reach me. Um, To those of you who aren't my grandma, thanks for listening also. Um, You can find me on social media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Annoying Question Boy. You can also find my blog on um, 
blogger.com as well as uh, this podcast which can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, and Anchor. And I actually have started a YouTube video and will be uploading my second video shortly if I haven't already. Also under the name Annoying Question Boy. Uh, I really don't have a closing statement other than... um, This is the world that white people created. These are the problems um, and struggles that white people created. And if they can't accept the fruits of their labor, if they cannot accept the consequences from which they are rightfully suffering, well then, if you don't like it, why don't you go ahead and leave?